I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Welcome back to another Boxing with Chris Mannix. As always, you can listen to the show live on the AMP app. Just follow Chris Mannix on AMP. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear. You guys know I love my NBA. And there's no better place to get into the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win, you get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So, Download the FanDuel app today using promo code BOXING. Start making every moment more. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. Due to this non-stop onslaught from Rocha. Oh my goodness! What a shot! Alexis Rocha! That is the voice of Corey Erdman on the DAZN broadcast last weekend. Corey was with me in Los Angeles at the YouTube Theater where we saw Alexis Rocha pick up a spectacular knockout win over George Ashey. And Corey is joining me this week on the podcast from where exactly are you, Corey? I am in lovely and very snowy Montreal right now. I'm here uh, to call Eric Bazinian Alantes Fox tomorrow night on ESPN+. Plus. Now we're talking. I am in <laughs> New York where it is not snowy, uh, but it is bone-chilling cold at the moment. It's expected to be uh, really cold all weekend long. The Amanda Serrano-Erica Cruz fight is on to zone uh, this weekend. So, Corey, not to get too deep into the Rocha win, he did what everyone expected. I mean, credit Ashy for 
winging punches until the end, but this was a 140-pounder moving up against a full-fledged welterweight with some pop. Um, I want to talk about what's next here uh, with uh, with Alexis Rocha. Um, Golden Boy, we know, met with Terrence Crawford last week. Alexis Rocha was discussed, as Bernard Hopkins told us uh, on the broadcast. So let's kind of put it out there. Uh, is Alexis Rocha, in your mind, a good option if you're Bud Crawford? Well, I think he's an option, right? I think that the appropriate option that we all agree upon is supposed to be Errol Spence. And I know that there are obviously going to be fans who are absolute hardliners who say it's that fight or nothing. I'm not watching Terrence Crawford uh, unless it's against Errol Spence. But yeah, the reality they're called Sergio Mora, like Sergio yes. Mora is one of those people. Sergio included. So, yeah, he did not order the BLK Prime pay-per-view last night. No, uh, last time he did not. <laughs> he did not. Um, In fact, many, many people did not order that. But uh, but would they order against Alexis Rocha? I I don't know. I mean, listen, Rocha is an option. And if Crawford enters some kind of working agreement with Golden Boy, it is a fight that within those confines makes sense. He's one of the welterweights that Golden Boy can offer up. And I imagine, and and this is just reality. I think that Rocha understands this. And Golden Boy uh, has said as much as well. You know, Virgil Ortiz is kind of first in line. You know, he is taking precedence in terms of who they care about most at welterweight. And then comes Alexis Rocha. So if they're negotiating something with Terrence Crawford, unless it's a one-off kind of thing, I imagine that, yeah, they're offering Rocha first and then maybe Ortiz. Or I, I, I truly don't know what they're discussing, but that's kind of what I would imagine. And, you know, if we care about what rankings do and what their mechanisms are, then Rocha sits third behind him in the WBO. And he is an option that's there. Has Rocha done a ton to this point to say he's ready to face one of the, you know, let's call it three best fighters on planet Earth, depending on how you want to arrange them? Well, I mean, his best wins are over Blair Cobbs and George Ashey. So the answer to that is probably no. But at the same time, in Rocha's own words, when you asked him, Chris, are you ready for Terrence Crawford? He said, we'll see when I get in there. So Alexis Rocha isn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. He understands how people view this matchup. But if the option is there and you're Alexis Rocha, of course you take it. I I, I don't see why you wouldn't. I think if you're Bud Crawford, like you're kind of running out of options here because you're not going to do business with Top Rank because that relationship ended badly. You're obviously not doing business with PBC at the moment. Matchroom doesn't really have anybody that's overly appealing to you. And if you're if you're dealing with Golden Boy, you can construct a two-fight deal that would protect you in the event that a Spence fight can't be made. I mean, Rocha, like you said, is in a position where he could be named the mandatory at some point in the next uh, couple of months. And if you're Crawford, you're going to protect that title probably at all costs. So you, you may have to take that fight one way or the other. Doing a deal with Golden Boy makes it a little bit easier. And if you beat Rocha, which many expect, would expect, um, maybe there's a Virgil Ortiz shot down the line. I mean, Virgil Ortiz is going to face Stanley Onis on April 29th. That much is is known. Um, right now, that is for Stanley Onis' secondary title. But I don't know many people, Corey, that believe that Spence, after moving to 154 to face Keith Thurman, is going to come back down to 147. Certainly not to face... You know Virgil Ortiz or some or, or Stanionis. Like that's just he's he's not going to happen. That's just not happening at the moment. So a two fight deal that begins with Alexis Rocha and ends with Virgil Ortiz. 
is a pretty good year if you're Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford, over the last three years, has been a once-a-year fighter. He fought once in 2020, once in 21, and once in 22. Uh, he was saved, in a way, by BLK Prime coming in you know, and operating like Brewster from Brewster's Millions and just you know, throwing money at stuff and giving him, reportedly, $10 million to uh, fight that fight against David Avenesian. I don't believe that backup plan is going to be in place uh, this time around, especially with, you know, 13 people buying Adrian Broner against Michael Williams in February. So I, I just, I think, you look, he's not going to get 10 million bucks to fight Alexis Rocha, but maybe there's a deal that makes sense for Terrence Crawford where he can get paid and he could also stay active. Like these are, you know, key years in Crawford's career. He's in his mid-30s now. These, his days are effectively numbered in boxing. I know people, you know, dumped all over the idea of Alexis Rocha and I get it, but look, Rocha is number three in the WBO. He's 6-0 and uh, since that loss to Rashidi Ellis. He's as qualified as anyone that's available, available being the key word. So why not go and do it, get a win, and then go into what could be a pretty big fight against Virgil Ortiz before the end of the year. Yeah, and 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 I think Ortiz is key to this because it, particularly if it's a package that could potentially lead to Virgil Ortiz, I would say that even the 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 absolutists when it comes to to Crawford and Spence and you know and absolutely not wanting any other fight could be convinced to watch Crawford versus Boots Ennis versus Keith Thurman versus Virgil Ortiz. Like there's a handful of names that I think would be acceptable enough. And one thing that is true, you know, whether Crawford is is privy to it or not, I don't know how much he's on his timeline, but he does have a a little bit of a a PR battle on his hands, right? And and I think that both he and and Spence do, but probably a little bit more on the Crawford side. Uh, Yeah, I think the voices are a little bit louder in terms of, of his detractors uh, I, I think that anything that he can do that points his arrow towards one of those other names, at least temporarily, is good PR for him at the very least. It's not it, even if it's not Spence, even if it's not a guaranteed Spence fight. If you have Golden Boy saying that is a fight that we're working towards, and hey, maybe there's Virgil Ortiz also, I think that that's a win for Crawford in terms of his public perception. Of course, it is. I mean, you, you if you're a fighter, you want to fight, and this was. You know, I, I I don't want to engage in these debates at all times, but like, you know, Sergio, who we had this argument with on the Zone Boxing Show, was like, it's Spence or nothing. All right, so you're saying that Terrence Crawford should just sit out, you know, for the next six months and cross his fingers and hope that a deal could be constructed to face Errol Spence? Where's the upside in that? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Stay busy, make some money, um, you know, get to 41, or maybe you can get to that mythical 50, you know, if you're Crawford before the end of your career. But I think staying busy. And, and look, I, I, I'm i not going to, you know, lavish praise necessarily on Alexis Rocha beating George Ashey, the 14th ranked contender by the WBA. We didn't get into this on the broadcast. No, I, I, I thought kinda, that you were going to go hard on this. I was kind of, I, I was waiting it, for it. it. Got, I tried to set you got, up for it too. I know, I know, but I kind of let the pitch go by. Just to, to recap here, George Ashey, who had fought one time above welterweight, and that was technically, I believe, a junior middleweight fight because his opponent weighed 150. Uh, he came into that fight against Alexis Rocha, ranked number 14 in the WBA rankings. Um, Alexis Rocha a career-long welterweight who was on a six-fight winning streak uh, after the loss to Ellis, was not ranked by the WBA. So 
when people like wonder why I hate these sanctioning bodies and everything they stand for, this is why. Like, this is why. George Ashey had no business objectively being ranked in the top 15, but the WBA put him there, which is bonkers to me. I don't, you know, sanctioning body. I think sanctioning bodies behaving badly is going to be a recurring segment on this podcast. I think we're going to have to, to just recognize the just absolutely shitty things that sanctioning bodies do in this sport. Yeah, and, and you could have a weekly segment on that. And again, that's not like, it's not George Ashey's fault that he wound up in that position, right? Like, it's, I think that we could do two things. Like, we could be critical of the sanctioning bodies and also respectful of the fighters who sometimes benefit. It's not the fighter's fault. You no, know, from those mechanisms. Fault, yeah. Like, it's, it's possible to do both. But, you know, Rocha also did the very best that he could with that situation with a highlight reel knockout because if that fight goes the distance chris we're having an entirely different conversation I agree. Be because of that knockout and because that's the clip that's circulating people aren't talking about what kind of a fight that was and they're not like that kind of gets pushed aside for yeah we know what that fight was but man look at this knockout right that's yeah. that really benefited rocha in, in his plight right now all right, let's talk about Archer Betterbiev. Uh, last week, Betterbiev picked up his 19th win and 19th knockout, stopping Anthony Yard in a more competitive fight than expected, at least more competitive fight than I expected. Uh, Betterbiev took some shots in this one, Corey. He's 38 years old, so let me start here. Did you see any signs of slippage in Archer Betterbiev? I think that if you look at a handful of Betterbiev's last, say, six fights, so, you know, if we include the beginnings of the Marcus Brown fight and the Adam Dynas fight, there have been times where better BF has looked like maybe he's sliding a little bit. And there would be good reason for that at this point. I think that two things probably happened in this fight. I think that Yard improved, that Yard was a little bit better than we expected, that Yard's, uh, that his power, that his pop was a little more meaningful than, than maybe we gave it credit for coming into the fight. But also, yeah, Better Biev is 38 years old, and he he demands a lot of his body, both in the ring during an active fight and in the gym. You know, this is a guy we've seen the clips of him working out in the gym and the, and the finger push-ups, and you know, when you're doing wrist exercises with the the fucking barbell, the whole barbell, like you're you're asking a lot of your body, and that's doing a lot of wear and tear. It's also getting you in phenomenal shape. But there becomes a, there's a, there's a breaking point where your body can't do that anymore, and the way that Better BF fights also invites contact. Even in his very best performances, he takes some shots. So, yeah, like I don't think that it's derogatory to say that Better BF is slipping a little bit because science would suggest that that has to be the case right now. But is he slipping to the point that he's not the best welter, or excuse me, the best light heavyweight in the world? I mean, it's still between him and Dimitri Bivol. Yeah, I agree. Um, he took more shots than he took, say, in the Vostick fight, which was his last really high-level fight. Um, Yard, like you said, a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Uh, I, I was expecting some version of the Anthony Yard that fought against Sergey Kovalev, who was okay early on and then faded badly late. But this version of Yard, e even in, like, you know, sixth, seventh round, he was throwing some shots and landing some shots. So I give Anthony Yard a lot of credit for, for the way he fought. I don't think you should take any steps backward after a performance like that. But if you're better, Biev, 
you can probably start to hear Father Time and those footsteps behind you. Not yet. He's not catching up yet, but you know, he might be, you know, two or three fights away from being more vulnerable than he's been in years past. And look, I thought the scorecards were kind of preposterous. Um, yeah, having Anthony Yard up like two or three rounds or one of the judges had, like, that's ridiculous. Like that that just didn't happen. That's not that's not reflective of reality. But you know, Better B has been down on the scorecards before. Like, they're not important to him because he knows that eventually he's going to get to his opponent and stop him. Vostick was up on the scorecards, I think, um, when when he fought Better B. And Better B just finished him off. So, um, I, I, I think he's still high, high level, but he might not be the fighter we saw against Vostick uh, a couple of years ago. Now, the question is, can Better Biev and Bevel be made? And... Unfortunately, the short answer is no, um, for a few reasons. Number one, the timing kind of sucks. Uh, Better Biev is a devout Muslim. He is going to observe Ramadan in the next couple of months, and that effectively shelves him till the early summer uh, at the earliest. And, you know, if you're Dmitry Bivol, even though you do want that shot at Archer Better Biev, the pot of gold, the end of the rainbow, is Canelo Alvarez. And... If Canelo is really targeting Bevel, as Eddie Hearn has been telling everybody that he is, um, that fight would take place in September. And Bevel is not turning down the opportunity to fight for the undisputed championship at 168 in September against Canelo Alvarez. It's legacy, it's money, it's everything that he could possibly want uh, in a potential fight. That's reason number one. Reason number two is there's no money anywhere for it. Like, Dimitri Bevel in his last couple of fights made $5 million in each. Made $5 million to face Canelo Alvarez. Made about $5 million to face Zerto Ramirez in Abu Dhabi. So he's used to a certain level of pay. So too is Archer Betterbiev, who's going to expect his career highest payday if he goes up against Dimitri Bivol. These guys are great fighters. Nobody knows who they are. They have no fan bases anywhere in the U.S., anywhere in the world, quite frankly, outside of maybe Russia, and we're not doing fights in Russia. Nobody's doing unification fights in, in Russia at the moment. That's just not happening. I mean, I, it reminds me, I was at the Better BF Vostick fight. There was nobody there. I was in Philadelphia. That was a great fight. Unification fight. There was nobody there at that fight. These guys just don't have fan bases. Better BF has one maybe in Montreal, but you're not getting any kind of gate that that makes up the kind of money you need to, to actually get there. So the reality of this situation, if people are clamoring for Better BF Bevel, is that unless Saudi Arabia gets involved, unless... Abu Dhabi gets involved. You're not going to get that fight. It's just not happening. Simple as that. And it sucks, but, you know, Vegas ain't putting up big money for it. New York ain't putting up big money for it. There's no venue in the UK that would put up big money for it. They need the Middle East in order to make that fight happen. And that might not be just specific to this year, Corey. Like, I don't expect Dimitri Bivol to develop this new fan base over the next eight months. I don't expect Better BF at 38 years old to develop more fans than he has right now. They may always be dependent on on the Middle East to make this fight happen. And if that money's not there, uh, that may be one of those fights that unfortunately never comes to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that you're wrong <laughs> because, and, 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 and perhaps it reaches a point where, you know, if enough time has gone by, because when you look at the light heavyweight division, like after, I don't know what, like, uh, Callum Smith at 175, like it drops off really quickly. Like you're you're getting into the like Ricard Balotniks of the world, like before you even exit the top ten, in some cases, right? So there aren't a lot of options out there other than one another. 
for these guys. I, I would disagree a little bit. I, I, I do think that better BF Bevol, if it came to Montreal, could do a pretty substantial gate here. I, I do think that a fight that big, better BF gets basically daily coverage in the papers here. Uh, All right, but I, what's big? Like, g- give me a number. Like, well, I mean, the Bell Center. For, one million? Five million? Like, what are we talking about? In here? terms of dollars, I don't know. I could tell you, like, if you go back to the big Pascal and Butte fights individually, like, I'm not even talking about them together. Boxing matches in the last 10 years here have done 20,000 people at the Bell Center. Yeah, I mean, I, right? I get that. But, like, but you know, look, Jose Ramirez is going to do, like, 15,000 in Fresno, and that gate's going to be under a million bucks. Like, it's it's all about what the number is at the end of the day. Like, it, there are great atmospheres. Look, Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders, 70,000-plus in Texas a couple of years ago. That was a great atmosphere. But the gate there was significantly less than T-Mobile Arena sure. in, in Las Vegas. So... I mean, look, I hear what you're saying, that you could do a good crowd at, at Bell Arena or Bell Center, rather, and, and, and anywhere, really, in, in that Canadian area. Uh, but I, I just don't see the gate being enough to get to, let's just say, hypothetically, it's $8 million, $9 million, whatever it is, for guarantees for these guys. I, I just don't see it happening without the Middle East. Yeah, plus, you know, plus television money. I, I will yeah. say, and this is just what Better BF's camp is saying, because, you know, I, I spoke with Mark Ramsey earlier today. He's involved with basically every fight mm-hmm. uh, on, on tomorrow's card. Their line right now is that the only fight they want next is Bevel. And they even mentioned saying, we care less about the money than we do about fighting him. And it's not not just because it's Bevel, but because they want his belt. So that is Better BF's line right now. So perhaps Better BF, perhaps, it, 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 and I'm just going off of what they're saying, perhaps Better BF is less of an issue, and perhaps it's Bevel that might need to take a little bit of a pay cut if indeed this is the fight that they want. Yeah, and, and Bevel, you know? like, it, it's hard to do because you're talking about taking a pay cut for the toughest fight of your career, basically. No, I know, is, yeah, yeah. Which is exactly backwards of how things usually go. I, look, Bevel... And his team are saying the exact same things. Sure. I mean, you know, this past weekend, I, I spent some time with uh, Vadim Kornilov, who is the uh, promoter of record for Dmitry Bivol. He was there with uh, Beck the Bully, part of his team. And he said the same things. We saw, I saw him after uh, the uh, Better Be a Fight happened. He's like, we want to make that fight happen. We'll do anything it takes to make that fight happen. Guys say that, but then promoters come to the table and say, look, the entire pot is $5 million bucks. Will you split it that way? And guys tend to walk away. And, and look, Better Be a even though I, I don't think it's a great fight. I mean, the Callum Smith fight is there. It's somewhat marketable. You could do that in Montreal. Uh, you could do that on, what I'm going to guess, ESPN, ESPN Plus, whatever. And still, and you could manage that. You could make that fight happen financially. Um, and it's somewhat marketable as well. Bevel's the one that is going to have some trouble over the next three months. Because if he's got financial demands, who is going to meet them? And what opponent is going to be worthy of that. I and mean, we've heard some stuff about Joshua Boazzi over in the UK. Yeah, I've heard that Bevel doesn't want to go back to the UK. He went there for the fight against Craig Richards. I don't think he loved the experience uh, being there. So take that for whatever it's worth. Um, and besides that, like, what are we talking about for Dimitri Bevel? What, what's interesting is the name I heard mentioned a few times was Jaime Munguia. And, and you've heard this publicly. Yeah, I've heard that too. From, yeah. you know, Eric Gomez said this and he was kind of channeling Fernando Beltran, who is the co-promoter of Jaime Munguia. Now, Jaime Munguia Bevel is career suicide for Jaime Munguia. Like, he's he's done. Like, he, he never, he doesn't touch Bevel. Bevel beats the bejesus out of him, especially if it's uh, at 175. I, I kind of dismissed that 
And I think Team Bevol kind of dismissed it when it first came out. But in the last couple of weeks, Corey, I've heard there's real traction to to that fight potentially happening. There are real legs to it. Um, I don't know, you know, look, both these guys are going to want certain guarantees, and the days of big guarantees, especially with DAZN, are over. Um, so I don't know if they can get there financially, but does Bevel Munguia interest you, where Bevel can, you know, become like, you know, the Mexican destroyer, you know, over, <laughs> over the next, with Canelo and Zerto already on his resume? Honestly, it interests me more than most fights against actual current active 175 pounders for Bivol, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, seeing Munguia take by far the biggest step up of his career, uh, you know, just having two notable names in the ring against one another. I mean, if that's an option for two of them, uh, go for it. And, and for, for Munguia, who has taken a lot of flack, rightfully so, whether it's his fault or not, or to whatever degree it's his fault for his opposition, this would silence some of those claims, right? You're taking on a bigger guy who's coming off a win over over at that time, considered to be the best in the world. This is a massive risk that you're taking for that fight. So I think that PR-wise is good for Munguia. I, I want to double back on Better Biev, though, because I know people will groan about this, but if we're talking about options for, uh, for both guys, I have also heard whispers of the possibility, provided that both take care of business, or at least uh, the name I'm about to mention takes care of business, Better be of Jean Pascal in Montreal. The oh, hyper local no, Montreal. Say I know. It no, I'm hearing no, it. I'm, I'm no, just telling no, you no. that name has been mentioned in papers here. Takes care of business. Like who's he fighting? He's he has like an eliminator coming up of fight. some sort. Yeah, yeah I know. Isn't that the one everybody passed on? Like Buatzi passed on it, and yeah, oh, it's, it's it's against Michael Eifert. It's coming up in. But Buatzi uh, passed yeah. on that one, right? right that was yeah. the IBF eliminator. Right. Yeah. So yeah. If, no, if Pascal wins, it's it's it could happen, Chris. I'm I'm good with well no I first I don't think it's gonna happen because Eddie Hearn's gonna lose his mind over Callum Smith and you know Eddie's kind of the one that's probably gonna be footing a lot of the bills on 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 that well maybe not I guess top ranks involved but like you know I, I, we heard Mauricio Suleiman say this week said Callum Smith is the mandatory so I'm gonna assume that you know there'll be something ordered to that effect and that's a better fight than Pascal Frank because Pascal is just done like he, he keeps reviving himself with some of these wins but. He is, in my mind, done, and that is not a fight I'm remotely uh, interested to see. So, look, uh, but to your point, Better Brief's got some options. I, I don't think Bevel has many options at this point, at least not for the first half of the year. If he wants to get a fight before, say, June, when he'd need to get one before taking time off to go fight Canelo, that clock is ticking right now on uh, on him. Um, oh, before I, by the way, I want to mention, speaking of sanctioning bodies behaving badly, I, I got to bring this up, too. The, the WBC, Mauricio Suleiman in a press conference said that Dimitri Bivol, if he wants to fight Archer Betterbeev for the WBC belt, has to apply for an exemption. This is based on the WBC's decision um, not to sanction championship fights, not to rank fights uh, fighters from Russia. This is after the Russia-Ukraine war kicked off. A lot of other sanctioning bodies, I think all the sanctioning bodies have kind of followed suit um, in in that respect, um, the Archer Betterbeev's Russian. Like I know he's a part of your adopted home country. There, he's his adopted home country, your home country. There, Corey. Mm -hmm. But Archer Betterbeev's Russian. He was born in Russia. He competed for Russia in the amateurs, winning a plethora of medals over the course of his time there. Yes, he's been in Canada for like more than a decade. His family's there. But can we stop differentiating? between Archer Betterbiev and Dmitry Bivol, can we just stop? Like, what the WBC is effectively saying is if Dmitry Bivol went out and 
became a citizen of Fiji, then he would be okay on their part because he'd have a dual citizenship and he can say, um, Fijian, which I think is the way you, you say it. Or better right. yet, like the peoples of Korean descent, if he leaned into that and became a citizen of South Korea, like would that satisfy the WBC's claims? Like we got to, like, I don't have a problem with sanctioning bodies saying Russians or Belarusians can't compete for our titles. It's a stand that, you know, I, look, I think it's, there's some merit to it, but it's hypocritical to sit there and say Archer Betterbiev is Canadian. Like, it just is. Archer Betterbiev is Russian. He is Russian. And if you gave him truth serum, I bet he'd say, I'm Russian. Uh, he is as Russian as Dimitri Bivol, and it drives me crazy that the WBC does it. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but I just, I, I, I that yeah, drove me nuts when I saw that. Well, I think that all they're looking for, which again is just like a token gesture, is just saying that you have a different hometown. You know, like, just saying again, it, it's, it's just completely say you token. have a completely different, you know, to, to pretend like you're from somewhere else, uh, apparently to them is the same as like a denouncement of, no, of the Russian so regime. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I think it's it's a token gesture that is probably not necessary at this point. By the way, he said Dmitry Bivol has to apply for an exemption, implying that he would give him one. So this is not a hard and fast rule that you have about Russians not competing for your titles. And spare me. The idea that if better be a Beevil was agreed upon, that the WBC wouldn't want to get involved. They want that fee. They want to be part of that fight. They ain't backing out of that under uh, under any circumstances there. So um, one thing on Munguia while we're talking about him. The obvious fight for Munguia is Gennady Golovkin. And we're now into February, and we have no idea what Gennady Golovkin is going to do. I've been told that Top Rank, beginning this month, is going to really press for the IBF mandatory, which is Falcoa, I believe. Yeah, Falcao, and, yeah. Falcao, sorry. Um, and say, you know, look, and the IBF is one of those sanctioning bodies that does follow the rules, and it's it's very possible that that top rank could force uh, either a purse bid situation or uh, forcing Gennady to vacate uh, the title. Gennady doesn't want to do that. He's very proud of those titles. He wants to hold on to them. And I think somewhere in his mind... And somewhere in the minds of his team, they believe that somebody's out there that's going to give him a bunch of money to fight uh, Falco or fight Eris uh, Landy Lara, who's the other mandatory. I don't see it. Like, Gennady burned the bridge with his own pretty good on the way out the door, kind of criticizing them and all the money they paid him. Um, I don't see them swooping in to make a deal. Like, Golovkin, he should have been spending the last month trying to cut a deal against Munguia. Munguia-Golovkin is an excellent fight at 160 pounds. Munguia, big guy at 160, gotten a lot better over the last five years. Golovkin, still pretty good, uh, but not the fighter he was you know, five years ago. And there's a story there, obviously, with Munguia getting shot down to face Golovkin back in, in 2018. Corey, I, I don't understand why Golovkin hasn't been just running towards that fight. Because it's a big fight, it's a marketable fight, could probably convince at least the WBA to to give you a break, maybe a pay top rank to have their guy stand down for a minute. I, I just don't know. I don't know what his end game is here because at some point he's going to be pressed into one of these mandatories, and these mandatories do not inspire anyone. Like the, the you know a fight with with Golovkin and and Falco is not great. <laughs> like a fight with Golovkin and Lara is not great. I, I just don't understand what the game plan is for Team Golovkin at this point. Yeah, I, I think 
there's a lot ha- there's there's things happening on on several fronts here. I think one is as you mentioned, just that the lack of opponents that may either uh, engender enthusiasm from the crowd plus pay him the amount of money that perhaps he's used to at, at, at this point in his career. And he was making a boatload of money for his, his last couple of fights. That money may not be out there for him anymore. So I think that that is one issue. I, I can see, you know, I, like if Top Rank were to make a play for that, I can see, you know, bringing Triple G to ESPN. They could package that in like a big marketing hype. Triple G on ESPN for the first time, it could be made into a big deal. Uh, whether that's enough money, for him or whether that matchup inspires him. I don't know. Uh, you probably is, still have to do it. I don't know how they do it on ESPN Leonard. You probably still have to do it on pay-per-view. Yeah. And that's dead. That's dead on pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, and uh, this is, I think, the other point that I was getting to with, with Golovkin, which is the the stage that he's at in his career. And I, I'm going to make a comparison here. That, just stick with me for a moment. It, Chris, you and I, we both love pop music, right? You know, we, we're, we're fans 100%. of pop music. We love pop music. A, a, a phenomenon... A phenomenon in pop music is when you look at kind of the biggest stars in pop or, or hip hop, they have fans, they have stan culture, right? They have people that really get behind them. And, and the thing that often drives that kind of fervent fandom is a little bit of friction, right? It's a little bit of debate. And Golovkin is one of the most commercially successful fighters of this era, one of the most commercially recognizable fighters of this era. But more than that, within the hardcore boxing fan base one thing that's really driven triple g over the years has been his fan base because they've always had a cause to take up whether it's as the fighter who isn't getting enough attention the fighter that's being ducked the fighter that they perceived was wronged against canelo uh so on and so forth now at this point that that canelo trilogy is done and triple g is is 40 going to be 41 soon what is what is the cause for them to take up and what I'm saying is, so it, now that he's lost in the biggest commercial fight uh, of his career, and now that he's kind of faded, even to the hardcore boxing fans, what slice of that pie is left? What What is the audience left for Triple G? And that's kind of what we're talking about. And it, if it's fractioned a little bit, is that enough to satisfy him? Is it enough to be on linear pay-per-view? That's really the battle is that even his most fervent supporters i don't know what they're chewing on anymore i guess other than yeah can the old champion beat up the young stud in in mungia or whoever they put in front of him can he have one last great stand that's really what you're selling at this point i i I agree um look the pay-per-views for canelo underperformed so there's no reason to believe that there is this audience out there still looking to pay for gennady golovkin fights and you know, I, I honestly, he'd probably be lucky to crack seven figures if he fought uh, his two mandatories, whether it was Falco or uh, Lara. I, I just don't see it. Maybe if it's pay per view, you can squeeze a little bit of money out of it, but I, I just, I, I don't see it. And that, that's why I wonder what what he wants out of his career. He's forty years old. Is he forty one now? They just turned in December. I think he turned. Well, he turned forty the day that he fought Murata. No, forty-one in April. You're right. 40, yeah, yeah, April. So he's he's closing in. He's not going to fight until his forty-first birthday. Um, and his reaction after the Canelo fight suggested he believes there's still something left in the tank. Uh, this, these sanctioning bodies can and should force the issue over the next few weeks because we got to figure out you know what he wants to do with his career. But if if Anybody on Team Golovkin is listening to this podcast. I know there are some of you that are. You've told me. I know you're out there. Uh, 
run to the Munguia fight. I know Golden Boy's reached out to you. Make that fight happen. And Golden Boy, forget this Bevold nonsense. Like that, you're going to get poor Munguia killed, you know, putting him in there with Dimitri Bevold. Like run to a Golovkin fight, which is a potential star-making fight for Munguia and a star-continuing fight uh, for Gennady Golovkin. All right, I want to talk for a minute about Amanda Serrano. Uh, she is back looking for a second straight win after that competitive loss to Katie Taylor when she takes on Erica Cruz. That's at the theater at the Garden. You can watch that uh, on zone. This is a significant fight for Amanda as a win would make her the undisputed champion at 126 pounds. <coughs> she would become, excuse me, the first undisputed champion from Puerto Rico, at least in the three and four belt era. Uh, a lot of talk these days, Corey, about the quote, the greatest woman of all time. So let's play the legacy game with this fight. Would a win... And undisputed championship status at 126 make Amanda Serrano the greatest woman of all time. See, this is fun when we get to have these the types of debates that you get to have in basketball, right? Where you get to debate like rings versus stats or rings versus talent and that kind of thing. That's I'm already that, I'm already deeply immersed in LeBron MJ, which is only going to get worse. It's in the only going to yeah, exactly, yeah. So I mean, but this that's kind of what we're arguing here when it comes to the greatest woman of all time. You know, do like for me. The best woman that I've ever seen in the ring relative to, to her competition is is still Claressa Shields. I, I you know, that like she is the best woman boxer I, I have seen in, in my lifetime. Amanda Serrano is significantly more decorated as a professional in terms of weight classes than Claressa is, but Claressa undisputed in two weight classes, that that's serious business as well, plus the two Olympic gold medals during an era where she had to fight all of the top amateurs one after another. That has to be taken into consideration as well. I, I defer to the fact that when you hear Claressa speak and Amanda speak and Katie Taylor speak, Chris, it's basically the it's the Spider-Man meme of them pointing at one another. <laughs> you know, as fervent as Clarissa is, and, and she will say that she is better than than absolutely everyone who's ever fought, and, and bless her heart. Uh, I, I love her attitude on Twitter. But even she will make the conceit that, hey, if you want to call Katie Taylor the greatest of all time or you want to call Amanda Serrano the greatest of all time, that's cool with me. And And that's kind of where this debate is at, is what do you value more? Yeah, um... I would agree with that, the pecking order of Clarissa, Katie, Amanda at the moment. Clarissa does have those two Olympic gold medals, which has to be factored in. She has been undisputed in multiple weight classes. Um, there is the argument to be made that even in the amateurs, the competition for Clarissa was less than what it was for Katie or even Amanda because unlike in men's boxing where – you know, the talent is north in the northern weight class, the heavier weight classes. Not I shouldn't say that, but there is a depth of talent in the northern weight classes. This is your Most... anti-minimum weight propaganda again, yeah, by the no, way. No, this no, is still a good bit of weight. Shout out to uh, our boy Colazzo there for uh, a performance <laughs> of a lifetime on uh, last weekend. Um, yeah, like, Clarissa is always going to have kind of that question of, of who she beaten, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Savannah Marshall fight was a big big feather in her cap because Savannah Marshall was a legitimate talent at 160. That was an excellent fight. Clarissa won convincingly. Uh, so, you know, she's able to keep making progress. So Serrano winning undisputed wouldn't put her above Clarissa. In my mind, it wouldn't put her above Katie, but it would nudge her further. And I think there's a pathway for Amanda Serrano to be called before the end of her career, 
the greatest woman of all time. Because you've got a situation where if she wins, there's the rematch with Katie Taylor in Ireland. Hostile territory. If she could win that fight, and she was ultra competitive in the first one. I had that fight, scored a draw. Don't argue with the Katie decision, but she was right there in, in the thick of it. If she wins that, maybe she gets a third fight with Katie Taylor. Maybe she wins that. After that, maybe she goes down to 130. Maybe Alicia Baumgartner's still there. Maybe Michaela Mayer is still there. Like, there are, are a couple other fights out there, a, a sequence of fights that could elevate Amanda Serrano uh, to that status. You, you have to consider the, the seven weight classes is, is tremendous. That's Manny Pacquiao territory. Although, you know, some will be quick to point out that many of those times were vacant, which has to be factored in uh, as well. But let's put it this way. If Serrano wins Saturday against Erica Cruz, and then she goes to Ireland and beats Katie Taylor, and then she beats Katie Taylor again in, let's say, September, October of this year, she's the greatest because you are who you beat. Like, uh, she'd be undisputed in two weight classes, like Clarissa uh, would be, and she'd have beaten the number two women, and maybe right now the number one woman pound for pound in Katie Taylor two times. So uh, that's a long way of saying I don't think she's there yet, but there's like a three-fight path for her to be you know, eventually finish her career as the greatest woman of all time. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point, that it, the, Clarissa is kind of hitting her head on what she can do right now now that would enhance her legacy even greater you know at Marshall she Lina, needs you, you know, know what she needs Corey she needs Savannah Marshall to move up and wait fight Franchon Cruz Desern, beat Franchon Cruz Desern, so Clarissa could move up and wait again mm -hmm. and fight for the undisputed championship at 168 yeah. against Savannah Marshall right that and, would and their friends be a marketable and, fight right, right. They're, they're they're close friends they want big money to do that but yeah I, I think it's a very good point that Serrano and her career has shown that she has a career basically unlike any other fighter, man or woman, with the, with the way that she's jumped between weights, uh, whoever she fought upon doing so, that has to be considered. You know, going from 140 to 115, basically between fights, is is absurd, and and, and to perform at a high level still, and to do it while wearing Air Jordans, uh, all <laughs> absurd wild. overall. You know, absolutely wild. But you're right that within her neighborhood, within her grasp, that she's shown that she can get to these weights. Most of the best women's fighters of today and the most recognizable names are names that she could theoretically fight. So, yeah, there there is a path for her. And even in losing to, to Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano didn't look like a fighter, like to me, that was on the, the downswing or anything like that. Yeah, there's a path for her to enhance her resume in a way that through no fault of Clarissa's, uh, she can't quite match with the current options out there right now. And that's yeah, I, that's something to consider. Yeah, I know she said after a Taylor fight, she's done fighting anywhere above 126. But, like, let's say hypothetically Baumgartner still has those titles at 130. Like, you're not going to go up to fight Alicia Baumgartner at 130 for the Undisputed Championship? I mean, like, what are we in this game for? <laughs> you go up to 135 for Katie, you're not going to 130 for, for Baumgartner. I think that's a uh, – and, look, money always talks, and, and maybe that's something that could be arranged uh, as well. Uh, last thing I want to hit you with, Jake Paul – Tommy Fury, are you ready to respect Jake Paul if he beats Tommy Fury? Will that change your opinion of Jake Paul if it changes Tommy Fury? Now, I have I am a card-carrying member, as you know, Corey, of the Jake Paul yeah. fan club. I'm a yeah, believer. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to beat Canelo. I don't think he's on the pound-for-pound -pound list. But the guy works hard. He's got a good team around him. He's knocking out guys that 
have some combat sports skills. His resume, in my mind, is better than Tommy Fury's, who's got a whole bunch of hobos uh, on that resume. Um, is this the fight that if Jake wins, uh, the boxing community will give him props for? I think it will certainly help because, yeah, whether Tommy Fury's resume being what it is, he's still viewed as a real boxer. You know, he's boxed his entire life. He looks like someone who boxes when he faces him. Some of Jake got the pedigree early son of Tyson or brother of Tyson, son of John. Like you got the whole whole nine yards. Yeah. Well, and, and I think what we're seeing too is that the boxing community, at least a portion of it is almost backing Jake over Tommy Fury. They, I I think they're right. Like they're right. (laughs) I was saying like, I, I think that it, this is just what we see online. And, and given what's happened multiple times with this fight, I think you I think you're not wrong for assuming that Jake takes the sport more seriously than does Tommy. So if one is a Tommy, real boxer, what, did he, what know, did he miss weight last time by? 8 pounds yeah, like yeah. for his last fight? Like yeah. that's not taking the sport seriously. Jake is cutting down to certain weights, willing to go up to certain weights. I mean, I've been to Puerto Rico. I've been in that gym. I see how hard the guy works. Again, not saying he's super talented or ever will be super talented, but he's getting the most out of whatever talent that he has. I don't think that's the case for Tommy Fury, who despite his last name is really like just, he's a reality star is what he is. He's from Love Island. like And then he's into boxing because it's the family business. And uh, he's done a nice job building himself up in that way. But I, I make Jake Paul the favorite in this fight. I do. And I think Jake Paul's going to spend the next, whatever it is, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is till that fight, um, crawling into the brain of Tommy Fury. He's already doing it. He's he's replying to a post that his Jake uh, Tommy Fury is what girlfriend uh, or wife like when they had the birth of their they had their kid. Oh yes. Jake yeah. Paul's underneath yeah. it saying just in time does he dad get knocked out? Like he is going to be right up in that 3 inches of real estate. Whatever whatever real estate you've got in your brain. Uh and he's going to be all in Tommy Fury's head. And and I, look, you listen to some of the public comments from John Fury, Tyson Fury, you get the sense they're nervous about this. Like, Tyson Fury's out there saying, Tommy better take this seriously, man. Like, he better not fuck around in this training camp. He better take this this seriously or else, you know, bad things are going to happen. And I do think that's probably going to be the outcome because I've seen Tommy's fights. Like, he's big and strong looking, but he doesn't have a lot of pop. Like, he's only got four knockouts in eight fights and he's not fighting guys of a high-level uh, caliber. So, I, I think Jake is... is deservedly a favorite to win this fight and and this will it'll be interesting to see what the com- boxing community's reaction would be after he wins yeah and, and i think this is kind of, this is an important moment in jake's boxing career because fury i think represents the perfect opponent and really the only opponent he could take at this point in his career because he's too good to just feast on o and o mma fighters and he's way too good to be feasting on former athletes that are not boxers at all he's reached the point where He's too famous to just fight any boxer, right? That's not what he wants. It doesn't quite make enough money, I think, for for what he wants, for what the networks want, et cetera, et cetera. But Tommy represents the perfect Venn diagram of celebrity <laughs> and re- considered to be real boxer. I mean, like, Tommy is actually not that different from a lot of fighters, like, on the UK scene that just have a lot of wins over journeymen that they basically finance themselves and they get to that. But there are a lot of fighters like Tommy Fury and we consider them to be real boxers. Tommy Fury is more famous probably as a reality star than he is as a boxer. But again, to that point, he represents the perfect blend that Jake needs right now. Now, after this, 
who fits that mold? I think after you beat Tommy Fury, Jake may actually have to take a step into just facing a real box. You know, no, and, and he tried no. to Tommy Fury, Tommy Fury gives him his bona fides. Tommy Fury, to your point, is perfect. I think after this, you start going back after Nate Diaz and you start looking at KSI. Really? And you start okay. going, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. look, he's never going to, like, I, I wouldn't put it past a sanctioning body to rank him at some point because they are shameless when it comes to that stuff. But. Like, he doesn't need that. Like, Nate Diaz gets one shot at boxing. Why wouldn't you make it against Jake Paul, someone theoretically you could have some success with? We know that KSI is building towards a match with Jake Paul. He beat Logan, what was it, four years ago now, three and a half years ago. Now he's been getting back and staying active. He said he's one more fight before he's ready for Jake. So I could see Jake doing Tommy Fury, doing Nate Diaz, and doing KSI before the end of the year, and probably make more money than anybody but Canelo. <laughs> really. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. If you think yeah. about it. Maybe really, Tyson I, and Usyk if they go in Saudi Arabia, but more money than anybody else in boxing. I mean, it's just a question of, like, Chris, like how quickly does he want those bona fides, right? I mean, and, and again, I, I want I, I, you know, I forgot this when I was talking about it, but again, he tried to fight Hasim Rahman Jr., right? Now we saw what he happened. He did. That wasn't his fault. Like, that wasn't his fault. So... Again, it's, yeah, do you want to go and take out those names that you assume that you could be? They're basically the same types of guys you were fighting before, MMA fighters, other influencers, so on and so forth. Or do you really want to take a stab at someone a little bit more legitimate? I, and the money is going to be really tempting to do the former. Yeah, you're... Yeah, legitimate boxers don't bring any money to the table. Seam Rockman no. would have died on pay-per-view and done a poor gate at MSG. Like... This will establish Jake as the quote-unquote legitimate boxer. It'll be the he beat the real boxer. He did it, and then he can go back to his universe and beating up on guys that have no chance of actually uh, beating them. Corey, good job, man. Um, you will be on the call again. What ESPN Plus is that? Yeah, where yep. the Alantes Fox fight will be. That's right, Alantes Fox, Eric Bazinian tomorrow or whenever you're listening to it, Thursday night on ESPN Plus, uh, starting at seven o'clock. Tune in. Excellent. I will be at Madison Square Garden for Amanda Serrano and Erica Cruz, where Katie Taylor will be in attendance. So maybe we'll get a little. I mean, Katie will probably just shake her hand and give her a hug. That's not how Katie operates. She's not yeah. gonna. It's <laughs> not gonna be any kind of. Uh, where were we? Quiet Cannon. You know, little face-offs in the ring at Tom Loeffler shows in Southern California. Won't be any of that animosity there. Just a nice handshake and a smile, and we'll see you in Ireland in May. Uh, Corey, good stuff, man. Good to talk to you. All right, we'll see you soon. And when we come back. My conversation with Alicia Baumgartner. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. 
And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it is Super Bowl season, and this year the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Download FanDuel now and use promo code BOXING so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything, from the money line to point spreads, who will score a touchdown, everything that you can possibly think of. All on the top-rated sportsbook app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today with promo code BOXING to let them know that I sent you. Claim your first no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57 using promo code BOXING. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Alicia Baumgartner is the unified 130-pound champion. On Saturday, she will look to change that to Undisputed, which takes on uh, Ella Mekeled, I think I'm saying that right, at the theater at Madison Square Garden. She is also one half of what I think is the best rivalry in all of boxing, men's or women's, the blood feud with Michaela Mayer and Alicia. Kind enough to join me here on the show. Is that fair? Like, like... The best rivalry in boxing. I don't know if there's any even like close right now. Like I would say in boxing period, yes. <laughs> it's it's men's or women's. Like, are you surprised it's risen? Like, it's a comp- combination of events, right? It was the build up to the last fight, the cancellation, the build up again, and then how close the the fight was. It's just become a monster in boxing. Yes, I, it tells a story. And if you go back and like you mentioned, you know, having the fight in London. The, the cancellation, the comeback, the more 
you know, animosity between us two. And then obviously me becoming unified. Mm -hmm. It just, it tells a whole story and, and it's great for boxing. Well, the last event you two were at together in Arizona where props got involved was, was great too. Like, and that's just perfect social media content. Right yeah. There. Yeah. That was great too. <laughs> <laughs> Does, do you savor kind of being in, you know, you are now, you were the hunt, hunter back then going after her. Now you are squarely the hunted at this point and you kind of have a lot of the power in the situation. Yeah. You know, I just feel like, Eventually, the roles were going to switch. I was going to be the one being hunted, and um, I knew that that was coming. But, I, but I'm but i well prepared, though, and I like that somebody wants to fight me, somebody wants to challenge me because that's who I am. I'm a competitor, and I love a challenge. How has the last year or so kind of changed your life? Because you've been boxing for a while, but you really burst on the scene with the Terry Harper knockout that went viral because of how, how spectacular it was, and then you know, you win a fight against Michaela, a fight that I think as many people, at least in the U.S., were looking forward to as much as they were Shields Marshall. How, how much does, has that changed your, your entire career, your entire life? Yeah, I would say just within a year, um, it's changed tremendously just with, you know, boxing outside of boxing, just the recognition that women's boxing is getting and how much eyes we have put on the sport. I, I tell everybody this is a movement. This is a movement that I'm part of that every woman who stepped in the ring is a part of. And so it's not just what is it doing for my career, but what am I doing for the sport? What am I doing to, you know, be an inspiration to young girls and just the younger generation to look up to? How much do you see that? Because at a lot of women's fights where top women are on the card, you do see a lot of young girls in the crowd wearing a t-shirt with your name on it or running up to get a picture. Like how much are you seeing that more and more over the last couple of years? Yeah, I've seen it so much. Um, I was actually, when I was in Arizona, I trained with two um, amateur girls and we went for a run and I thought it was just awesome just seeing these young girls like I was at that age, you know, striving to be great at something. And I think it's just, it reminds me of who I was mm -hmm. as a young girl. I'm like, wow, I'm just seeing it more and more now. And because of, the women in front of us, in front of me, has given me that platform, that inspiration. Now I'm able to give that back, and that's what it's about. Could you have imagined when you were young and coming up that this would be not the end game for you because you got a lot more years to go, but you know, fighting at the Garden, you know, in a co-made event type of situation for an undisputed championship, even in like some your your best case scenario, was this up there on it or was this there? I've never seen this. Like <laughs> everything that I'm witnessing and experiencing is something so new and something I would never even thought of. But I think that's what's great about just the journey and the process that what you think you want, God has something better. And I'm just like, oh, I see the bigger picture now. It's always what is the bigger picture? You talk about the, the journey, and I was watching some video of, of your story, and I was looking at the on your fridge. You have a bunch of notes up there. Tell me about that. Tell me about kind of how that started and how many notes eventually wound up on your fridge. Yeah, so I actually write. I have um, been journaling for years um, just as a young girl, and I, I just know— Smart. Turn that into a book someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and I just know how important it is to speak about it, write about it, and— um, really visualize your life changing in those in those times and I've have written so many things that have came um, to fruition and I'm just blessed and so as I was preparing for this fight with Michaela you know I would write on a sticky note unify world champion 
Michaela Mayer's getting knocked out <laughs> just to uh, to remind me why I am here and what I'm what that reason is and um it just it motivates me every day mm-hmm. and it just makes me read it visualize it and just put it out there does this fight feel this fight coming up for undisputed does this feel like everything you've worked for to to be in something like this yes it feels like i can take a deep breath okay got past that level this level now i'm here here's another level another challenge what are we going to do different how are we going to be better and how can we you know make a statement Mm. what brought you to detroit I mean, you train out of there, Tony's gym, Tony Harrison, your, your trainer. Well, again, as I told you, one of my favorite fighters of all time. Great guy. Um, what brought you to, to that gym? Yeah, so just coming from a small town in Ohio, I had to know I had to move. I had to get out of this small town to make something of myself. And, you know, the next big city was Detroit. And so I knew that Detroit was a place for opportunity, a place of grit that I've already had and so I made my way through Detroit went to a few gyms and ended up at Superbad and just really made my mark there Mm. and a home there it's rare that a fighter is trained by another active fighter I mean Tony's going to fight for an interim title in a couple of months in in Australia do you see that what are the benefits of that I guess having someone close to your age who's active in your corner Many benefits. You know, I would have never thought that I would have, you know, um, a fighter as my trainer as well. But it works perfectly. And I think because as a fighter, we have a a different type of mentality, a different mindset when we're going into a fight, even when we're sparring, what we're seeing, what Tony's seeing. He has, you know, a trainer's eye just like his father Mm -hmm. did. And I think um, that helps him as well as it helps me. And so it just it just matches. It Mm -hmm. just works. And as long as it works in the corner. He's giving me instructions. I listen and I can go do it. It's a cakewalk. The last belt that you're fighting for is is vacant currently, the WBA belt. It was owned or possessed, I should say, by by Choi, the South Korean fighter. Um, I, I think the only thing that got you and Michaela Mayer on the same page is mutual dis- dislike for Choi and, and frustration, I guess, that she wouldn't fight. Are you? How do you feel about this being a vacant title and not being able to take it off Choi? You know, um, I told myself eventually that was probably going to happen, but as long as I kept preaching that I was going to be undisputed, we were going to make this undisputed fight, even if I had to go to the convention to speak on the behalf of this undisputed fight, I was going to do that. So again, you know, Mechlet has a chance to, um, you know, become world champion. And this is just as good for her. Like Mm -hmm. I'm happy she can have an opportunity, a good payday and, um, you know, a chance to fight at the Hulu theater. But again, you know, it was going to happen. You're not shy about speaking at conventions. I I was, I didn't see this happen live, but I was on Twitter. You know where I'm going with this. When, uh, you see that, you know, Alicia Baumgartner stands up for Tony Harrison at the WBC convention. Tell me about that. What prompted you to to stand up and, and speak out for your guy? Yeah, so I'm like at the convention. I'm like, okay, they're 154. That's Tony's division. And, you know, we, you know, every Tony fan wants to know when he's fighting next, <laughs> as do I. So they're like, you know, is anyone here representing Tony? I'm like, shoot, I'm here. I might as well. <laughs> So I went up there and um, they tried to hose him a little bit. Yeah, they tried yeah. to say he's not ready to fight. He's not That's ready. To I'm go. like, no, he's ready. He's <laughs> he's definitely ready. I train with this man, um, but yeah, it was just an opportunity to to speak on um, 
on behalf of Tony. And again, that's what teammates do. Mm. That's what you do when um, you support one another. I love that. What um, So Mecca led in front of you this Saturday. What kind of fight are you expecting for her? She's been in with Delphine Pursuing, lost that fight. Uh, but what are you expecting from her as an opponent? I'm expecting her to, you know, obviously she's tough. And I'm expecting her to come forward and just really win. However that looks like for her, she wants to win. So it it could be anything, but I'm well prepared for anything with this girl. And um, I actually like this fight because she's coming to fight. Mm-hmm. She's coming to dethrone me, but <laughs> that won't happen. So is this a situation where you want to win undisputed and then go do other things? Are you looking to stay at 130, defend your titles? What's kind of your long-range plan for – yourself yeah so I would like to um, defend my titles maybe once or twice um, the or if the opportunity to go up to 135 to fight Katie Taylor I would like that as well I think it's important that we utilize this window that I'm in and that's what I would love to do and just make these these fights you know I'm very a- ambitious I love to fight I love a challenge and you know women's boxing has started so well and we just need to continue that needle moving forward Mm -hmm. with these great challenging fights and that katie fight look everybody's talking about katie and serrano and that's what most people want to see in ireland in may but there's no deal yet for katie and serrano and you work with the same manager as katie and from what i hear like it's it's at least an outside chance that we could see you in the ring with Katie Taylor. Is that kind of the vibe that you're getting? There's at least a chance that, that that fight could happen. I would say so. I think, you know, I always see the bigger picture of things and I, again, visualize me fighting Katie again. She's a great fighter. She has a great resume. She's done a lot for the sport and I love that. And again, I love a challenge. I want to <laughs> fight her. I want to feel her power. I want to see what, what the what the the noise is about (laughs) noise is a great word because you know you if you fight her you'd have to be in ireland i'm guessing more katie taylor fans in ireland than than alicia baumgartner yes but we know all about going into people's backyard don't we yes you do (laughs) Uh, last question for you when so when or if does michaela mayer re-enter your mind and in terms of fight does does she have to do something to effectively earn an opportunity or is is it just a a feeling that you would get you know I don't think she needs to do anything again this is the boxing business we have to really take that in in accountability right when I took my loss I was like off for like three years I was just slowly getting myself back so you know maybe her promoter works a little faster than most but you know I don't mind the rematch because I know I'll beat her again and I would honestly feel bad for her mental. I know her mental state right now is not the best. So if I would beat her again and really finish her, I don't know. She can move forward with that. But um, however it's supposed to go, it will go. I don't really, you know, I talk. I'm in the meetings with my promoters and managers and stuff. But um, I'm all for it. I like to fight. Would you do it? Would you prefer to do it at 130 or 135 where she just moved up to? Either one. Mm. Listen, me beating her at 35 and her weight or whatever <laughs> would be even better. Because I can make that way easy. Greatest rivalry in boxing. (laughs) First up, though, Alicia going for the Undisputed Championship Saturday on DAZN. Good luck to you, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. And when we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. Time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. And this week, I am looking at the show on Friday, the top-ranked show, super featherweight title fight, Emmanuel Neverette 
against Liam Williams. Navarrete is he's just a massive favorite in this fight. Minus 1,600, according to FanDuel. So betting him to win isn't going to get you much. Uh, betting him to win by knockout is a better chance to make some money. Navarrete by knockout is minus 260 right now over at FanDuel. He's got 36 wins, 30 wins by way of knockout. Uh, Wilson has been stopped before by a much lesser puncher than Navarrete. So I think at some point Navarrete gets to Wilson in the middle to late rounds of this fight and picks up a knockout and gains a 130-pound title. So those are my picks this week, brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Alicia Baumgartner for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.